Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. I got a girl, I love so I'm ready. All right. This is Dale Jarrett, reminding you to watch new 90-minute episodes of NASCAR America weekdays starting at 5.30 Eastern. You'll hear from the stars of the sport, plus analysis from icons and Hall of Famers. 90-minute editions of NASCAR America weekdays on NBCSN. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This is the final episode of the podcast's first year, and I think we will be leaving you in the most memorable way possible. Our guest is the incomparable Mojo Nixon. Some of you might know Mojo as a SiriusXM radio host who has a weekly program on Monday nights that takes a rather irreverent look at NASCAR. Some of you, such as me, might have first learned about Mojo three decades earlier when he was among the darlings of college radio in the 1980s. He became a minor MTV celebrity with songs such as Elvis is Everywhere, Don Henley Must Die, and Debbie Gibson is Pregnant with My Two-Headed Love Child. He also was immortalized in the hit song by the Dead Milkman called Punk Rock Girl. Mojo is a true original. But despite an obviously wicked and sometimes demented sense of humor, Mojo is not a novelty act. Mojo actually is a very talented artist with strong opinions and viewpoints. And he is a bit of a renaissance man given his varied interests. He wrote what I think is one of the best songs ever composed about NASCAR. It's called The Ballad of Wendell Scott, and it's Mojo's tribute to the NASCAR Hall of Famer, who is the first African-American driver to win a race in NASCAR's premier series. Wendell Scott was from Danville, Virginia, which also was the hometown of Mojo Nixon. Mojo's NASCAR fandom and knowledge is genuine, even if he might approach racing with the offbeat viewpoints of counterculture and just general wackiness. He is a NASCAR aficionado, and we spent much of this podcast talking about his place and role in NASCAR. And we also talked a little bit about music. You can find Mojo's work. He's recorded 10 albums on iTunes. And that's also where you can find the NASCAR NBC podcast. If you're hearing us via iTunes, 
please leave a rating or review or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. That really helps us out. There are many other options uh, for finding us. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, also check out the rest of the NBC Sports podcasting lineup in those places. There's a new Pro Basketball Talk episode in which Kurt Hewan and Rob Doster analyzed the 2017 NBA draft. And as always, there is PA and Florio with Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio sizing up the NFL season as it heads toward the playoffs. But now let's get to our conversation with Mojo Nixon. A warning that this was taped on Saturday, July 9th at Kentucky Speedway. Uh, That was just a few hours before the race that night. I've seen Mojo a few times since then. I've had to apologize profusely after he good-naturedly ribbed me about when this podcast was going to run. Uh, It got waylaid by a few weeks, and then eventually I just decided it might fit best as an off-season treat. So we had to edit some of the conversation because it was outdated, and then we had to edit some of the conversation because it's Mojo. Uh, Let me thank Tess Quinlan and her sensor trigger finger in advance for her always fine production work on this episode. So without further ado, here's Mojo Nixon. All right, this may be the apex of the NASCAR and NBC podcast, certainly for me, hopefully for listeners as well. We're joined by Mojo Nixon, Sirius XM NASCAR satellite radio host, does a NASCAR program called Manifold Destiny. Also has, what, two other radio shows? Yeah, I have a political talk show, and I have a, uh, I'm an outlaw country, Hillbilly Rock and Roll Channel 60 on Sirius XM, and the show is called Manifold Destiny. Just wanted to let you know that, Nate. <laughs> you can listen on Channel 90 Monday and Tuesday nights? Monday night. Uh, they don't let me on once a week. I'm only on for two hours a week, but it seems longer because I'm talking so fast. <laughs> Uh, I've been following Mojo. I know you get embarrassed every time I say this, so I'll try to keep this short. But I've been following Mojo since the late '80s, when he was a hit. What I, we would now we would probably refer to as an indie rock musician. Yes, back I, then it was more college radio. College radio. I was, radio I was, was number called. one on the college radio charts at some point. With either uh, Stuffin' Martha's Muffin or Elvis is Everywhere. There was a song called 619-239-KING. Yes. That was my introduction to you on MTV. Yes, and they, the play, they played that, that on song. VH1. And, you know, uh, Chris Christopherson is in that video. And my mom, I swear, my mom in Danville, Virginia, Big Mama Nixon from uh, Hamlet, North Carolina, she goes, that can't be Chris Christopherson. He's a big star. He wouldn't be in your raggedy-ass video. <laughs> My mom doesn't quite talk like that, but you get the idea. Right, right, right. Well, a lot of people respect your work well, and, and music. My thank, uh, thank you. And I, and somehow I've parlayed it into being on the radio. Yes, and in part because of your interest in NASCAR, which is certainly why we have you here. Uh, and uh, you mentioned you, you grew up in Danville. Right. I, it's not just interest in NASCAR. You grew it's, up around it's, it. It's, Danville, yeah, Virginia. Yeah, I grew up in Danville, Virginia. Is right between South Boston. That's where the Burton boys are from, where South Boston Speedway is, and Martinsville on the Virginia-North Carolina border. Danville is also approximately 43 miles from Level Cross, North Carolina, home of the greatest NASCAR driver of all time, Richard the King Petty. Yes. And uh, my dad was a fan. My dad, this is how great. My dad was a Lee Petty fan before Richard Petty, you know, was racing. And uh, I saw Richard Petty race on the dirt at the old Hillsboro track in 1967. Now, I would have been, what, 10 years old. And I say I saw, I didn't see a whole lot because it was a big red dirt cloud and you couldn't see it. <laughs> Plus, I was 10. I was, I, was, I was playing, you know, most of the time. Yeah. But I was there. You know, when Richard Petty raced on the dirt and I, 
we went to uh, we went to Martinsville, you know, uh, once or twice every year. We went to North Wilkesboro. We went to Richmond. We went to Charlotte. I don't think I ever went to. They used to race at the fairgrounds in Raleigh. I know my dad went there, but I didn't go there. And uh, we went to Bowman Gray sometimes. I think I saw the last Cup race at Bowman Gray, and my dad almost got in a fist fight with somebody and got. <laughs> He might have had a few adult beverages and got lost on the way home. He was trying to take a shortcut. from. He didn't want to go through Greensboro and so in Winston-Salem to go to Danville. He was going to take a shortcut kind of through Martinsville. We ended up almost in Stewart where the Wood Brothers were. We was going the wrong way. <laughs> Daddy got, Big Daddy got mad. Is that part of the appeal for you of stock car racing, not just what happens on the track, but the fervent pan, fan passion off of the track? Was yes. that why you were hooked as a kid? And, and also where I grew up there – there was really only two sports, mm-hmm. and, and this might be just my dad, you know, in my house. But uh, the two big sports were NASCAR and college basketball, in particular Carolina. You know, and it's not just about loving Carolina; it's about hating Duke. I hate Duke so much. When Coach K was <laughs> coaching the Olympic team, I was rooting for Argentina. I know how to hate. <laughs> but yeah, so like Washington Redskins or. Baltimore Orioles or the Atlanta, those teams were the closest, you know, uh, big league teams. And we, we didn't really care. We didn't know. Right. You know, right. It was we all were about- hillbillies in the, a bunch of hicks out in the sticks. And, you know, we were hillbillies in the woods. And it was literally college basketball. And, oh, and the third part of that triumphant, high school football. High school football was bigger than Jesus. In fact, I think I saw Jesus at a high school football game in Danville. <laughs> he was rooting his own. <laughs> Frequently cited around Southwest yeah. Virginia, I think. Well, yeah. Well, you know, and, and coaches love to quote, you know, you know uh, sometimes they quote Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson and Jesus in the same speech right before you <laughs> defeated your hated rival. But anyway, so I, I grew up a NASCAR fan. I've been right. a fan since the late 60s. In fact, it was really good to be a Richard Petty fan in 67. He won 10 races in a row. Right. He won 27 of 56 races. Right. He was kicking ass. He was pretty so, good. Right. So it was really good to be a Richard Petty fan, and I've been a Richard Petty fan my whole life. And what was it about racing that appealed to you as a kid on track? Was it just that they had personalities like Petty who would win and be well, these American I, I, heroes? I ain't even brought up this. Wendell Scott is from my hometown. I was going to get to this. Wendell is from my hometown. He's friends with my dad. My dad runs the black radio station. Really? And he had a – on Wendell's car in the 67 uh, – my dad had these uh, – Magnetized stickers he put on the side of the uh, on the side of the uh, station wagon that said WILA Soul Radio. Well, he went over to Wendell's shop, and here's the thing: Wendell only lived about ten blocks from me. Me and my brother used to ride our bikes over there on Monday and see wrecked up cars. Wow. You know, they and they'd be working on them. And so that, there, where they where they put that highway sign and where the old garage was, that's literally about a neighborhood and a half over from where I grew up. Wow! And so, and my dad knew Wendell, and. Uh, I have a picture of Wendell, I think it's in 67, standing in front of his car, and it's got my dad's, you know, magnetic stick on, uh, WILA Soul Radio on the back quarter panel. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and so it's also, to me, it all, we had a, me, me and my brother got a go-kart, and we figured out how to, you know, make it run faster. Well, the engine in the go-kart, you know, which is a Briggs and Stratton, you know, lawnmower engine, at that time, was not that different than the engine that was in the race cars. It's just you know, it was so, yeah, they, you know they they had overhead cams and all that kind of stuff. But the basic concept was the same. Now nowadays, 
you gotta be a you gotta be a rocket surgeon, which is a combination <laughs> of a rocket scientist and a brain surgeon. You gotta be a rocket surgeon to figure out the engines, right? Right. But back then, you you couldn't. So you know, uh, and I had a car. I remember I had a Dodge Dart. Uh, I got from my, you know, and I put big wheels on it, and I put flames on the side, and I did the motor all jacked up, and I wrecked. You know, guess what? Mojo wrecked that thing. <laughs> was that your only attempt yeah. at racing? No, that was my only attempt at, at, at having a hot rod. <laughs> did you but, ever race at all? No. Okay. no I, it, it, this is even crazier. I, I did race. I raced bicycles. Okay. I'm 1975 oh, yeah, right. Virginia state champion bicycle racer. And in 1982, I rode a bicycle from San Diego to Danville, Virginia, me and two other guys. And, uh, that, and as on that trip, I had the Mojo Nixon revelation that I should stop trying to imitate, you know, Bruce Springsteen or Mick Jagger, and I should just be myself, which is play a little hillbilly rock and roll and then start telling some extemporaneous pontification and or lies over top of it. <laughs> so before that, you thought you were going to be like the new rock? I, I was imitating other people. Okay. So it would change, right. you know. Sometimes I'd imitate David Bowie, and then I found out his name was David Bowie. So, heck, I wouldn't <laughs> go in and pay him no more. You've lived a very full life, obviously, Bojo. And uh, so NASCAR certainly has informed that. Right. And, and it, uh, it, When I went to Ohio, when I went to college in Ohio, one of the things that made me a Southerner, this is in 1975, you know, besides iced tea and barbecue and buck dancing and banjos and moonshine, one of the things that made me a Southerner as opposed to somebody from Ohio was being a NASCAR fan. Yeah. Because at that time, everybody in Ohio was an IndyCar fan. Mm -hmm. right? And it's also hard for everybody now to realize how big IndyCar was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, especially compared to NASCAR. I don't know if it was times five or times 10 or times 100, but it was huge. Right. It was, you know, huge. And one of the things that made me a Southerner, you know, was that I was a NASCAR fan, not an IndyCar fan. This is what I blame Jeff Gordon for. Jeff Gordon comes along, and, and NASCAR goes nationwide. You know, where they get more bigger, you know, more Madison Avenue corporate sponsors. And Jeff Gordon, before, it was a little secret Southern thing. You know, mm -hmm. kind of essentially from, you know, from, uh, from D.C. To, uh, to Austin. You know, on a little arc, a little crescent there. And that's where nine-tenths of your drivers and your tracks and everything are. Jeff Gordon, Jeff Gordon takes NASCAR <laughs> nationwide. Jeff Gordon, Jeff Gordon doesn't want to uh, – Jeff Gordon, he doesn't know nothing about moonshine or banjos. Jeff Gordon would rather drink wine. He'd rather drink wine than whiskey or moonshine. <laughs> Jeff Gordon is glad to be in GQ magazine. Richard Petty doesn't want to be in no dang GQ magazine. You know, so it was – it was, and I know some – I know, and, it, and I know this is true of all, both Richard Petty. Richard Petty, you know, inherited his thing. Dale, Dale, June, uh, Dale Sr. would sometimes get on the tractor, you know, for show, you know. Uh, right, right, pushing dirt from right, one side of the farm right, to the other right. just but, to show uh, he's a man of the people. I, I realize yeah. all that, but, I, you know, I believe in the myth, the mm -hmm. myth of America, and I believed in the myth, you know, the myth of NASCAR. That it was the working man. That it was, you know, yeah. that was da it was hillbilly down in the dirt. Here's how hillbilly NASCAR is. So Na Indianapolis has the Indi Indy 500. It's the biggest race in North America. NASCAR goes, you know what? We're going to have the world. 600. See? It's 100 more. <laughs> <laughs> you get it? 100 more. That means we're bigger. It's literally like turning the amp up to 11. <laughs> <laughs> But you would would you agree that NASCAR is in a better place post Jeff Gordon? Uh, no. I mean, he took it Je to Jeff, different places. Jeff, NASCAR is in a great place. 
when you hear people complaining about, oh, the, you know, uh, viewership is down, uh, attendance is down, all you got to do is watch an IndyCar race. In fact, the IndyCar race at Sears Point, you could fire cannons in every direction and not hit a fan. <laughs> so, so let's say it was 70 or 60 or 80% full. Yeah. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, even when Bristol is half full, there's still 80,000 people there. Right. NASCAR is doing great. Uh, it's just, I, I think, you know, we overbuilt. We, we, we had irrational exuberance uh, when Jeff Gordon hit. And NASCAR was so hot, rappers had on NASCAR jackets. That's how hot it was. We had 48, 52 cars showing up at the track every week, well-funded, ready to go. Right. That'll never happen again. Right. Uh, right. So NASCAR is doing fine. It's just not, it take, it's not exploding like it was. And you can never be, when I was a musician, I was the hot young thing for two or three years. NASCAR was the, hot, was the hip new sport for two or three years and exploded in the late 90s, early aughts. You, can't, you only get to do that once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you said, byproduct of those boom times is sometimes you maybe make missteps in miscalculating how many right. stands and, you're you know, and, and if I was in charge, if, I, if I, suddenly it was uh, Billy Bob Bubba Jr. France, if I, my last name changed to France, I, I, would, have, I would have less races. Uh -huh. I would, you know, I know this is never going to happen. I would have less races. I'd have shorter races. And they've already, the third thing I always wanted to fix, make winning more important. They've done that. Right. With the chase right. and the current form, they've done that. But I would have 28 races, a shorter season. I don't think, I don't think it's smart for NASCAR to compete with the NFL and college football. Because a lot of the same, the core fans for NASCAR are the, also the, a lot of the same for the SEC and the NFL. Hmm. And I, you know, but... Okay, then it starts saying, well, Mojo, who, what races are you – what tracks are you going to take a race away from? Then there's going to be a big fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> Which you like. Yeah, just well, like your dad. Yeah, just, right, just right, like right. back people, in your childhood right. days. It's hard. And it's also <laughs> hard to get people to make the races shorter because right. that's one more commercial that uh, a company like the National Broadcasting Corporation can sell. That's also <laughs> one more T-shirt and or hot dog or beer they can sell at the track. It's all connected. Right. Yeah. But I think for the good of the sport, if the season was shorter and the average race was closer to three than four hours, it would be good for the longevity of the sport over the long run. Right. Wait, you didn't even write any questions down. I've got questions right oh, here. You, oh, wait a minute. Over here. Yeah. Okay. See? I've got, like, little notes. I've got the – actually, I have the lyrics here to the – the Ballad of Wendell Scott. We can give Jeff Gordon a lot of credit for, as you said, taking yes. NASCAR mainstream, taking NASCAR national. And uh, as you said, uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, uh, you know, he deserves credit and blame, but I think a lot of credit in his way for that. But also you also were somewhat complicit in taking it national. You wrote a song about Wendell Scott. I wrote a song about Wendell on my second album, and uh, it's to the tune of the wreck of the old 97. The wreck of the old 97 happened in Danville, Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, the wreck of the old 97 is like a song every country band knows because it was on the B-side of the first million-seller 78 in 1924. I am full of odd facts known by few. So, <laughs> and, uh, and Wendell Scott, when we would go to the race, we would root for the 43 and the 34. Mm -hmm. And they were both blue, and they had threes and fours. So it was easy to keep track. And me and my brother it would, would stand, come on, Richard. Come on, Wendell. We'd stand up every time we come by. <laughs> That's great. It, Did he... Well, you wrote that song after he died in 1990, right? He died in 1990. Um, yeah, I wrote that song. No, I wrote that song before he died. And okay. I, but he was had been sick, and I took an album over to his house because he lived, like I said, like a neighborhood and a half away. I took it over there and talked to his wife, uh, uh, but she said, 
he wasn't feeling good. Yeah. But then I became friends with his uh, his uh, children, and I've had him on my show a bunch of times. You know, trying to get uh, Wendell in the Hall of Fame and just just generally supporting Wendell because you know, being from Danville, we didn't have much. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I, I don't know where you where are you from? Kind of all over. My extended family lives in Boston. I was born on the North Shore of Boston. Far away from the right, south. Right, so, lived, lived for 10 right. years in Richmond. Right. Now right. so seven years imagine, in Charlotte. So. Imagine Richmond is the big city compared to Danville. It, that right. it is. Right. So, Having driven down right. Route 58 many, many times, I'm, I'm aware. Right. So Danville, we didn't have a whole lot. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We had a cotton mill, but it was slowly going out of business. We had tobacco farming, but that was also... Both of those things peaked in 65 or 72 or something. Right. Uh, people began smoking less cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> I hear they're bad for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weird. They kind of put the word out that you might want to stay away from how much smoking there was in Danville. The only way I could rebel was by not smoking. <laughs> I have every other bad habit and have tried to kill myself <laughs> many ways. But the probably the thing keeping me alive is, is I don't, the fact that I never smoked. Yes. My dad died. In fact, every oldest male child in my family died before they were 50. They, they lit the candle at both ends, and they set the blowtorch in the middle. That was life in Danville. Yeah. But, okay. But in Danville, we didn't have a whole lot. So Wendell was one of the things we had. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and um, you know, and, and, and race relations were, you know, awful. Yeah. But just like football, just like – and when I was uh, – the year – I graduated from high school in 75. In 76, they integrated the schools. Well, guess what? We had a much better football team. We won the state championship <laughs> the year after that. Right, once we got the black folks and the white folks together. Right, right so we were kicking ass. Right. And the same thing, right, sports can overcome the racial divide. And you see it in basketball and you see it, you know, in all kinds of things. But, yeah, we had Wendell there in Danville. And, um, you know, it was one of the things we were proud of. And, of course, he was posthumously inducted in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago and first – uh, black driver, only black driver to win at, in NASCAR's premier series. Hopefully someday there will be more. Did, did you ask to, to maybe play that song, or did anybody ever contact you, or did you maybe try to see if the Hall no, of Fame I might be No, I tried to. In fact, okay. I talked to somebody over at the Hall, but, you know, uh, I never got far enough up the food chain. Because <laughs> okay. I thought maybe when they – right, maybe like when they walked up there or something, yeah. they could play a little bit of yeah. it and play the course. Sure. Or And I also talked to somebody, and they were doing the TV, I think um, – might have been one of y'all's uh, competitors were doing the TV, and I said, "Why don't you know? Why don't you play it in the montage? Because they usually they have a montage. Just play a little bit in the montage." But yeah. I never got anywhere with that. Oh well. They're probably thinking I wanted to be paid. <laughs> I do own the publishing and the uh, and the uh, masters. Well, so yes, Mojo does want to get paid. <laughs> there is that, but hey, it's it's but more about like the I good would, uh, of honoring you know, Wendell. Yeah, I do it for free. How did your fans react to that song? Those who probably didn't know anything about NASCAR but were Mojo Nixon music fans did. Did they wonder about who's this? Who's this story well, about? My fans. I don't know if you know this. They're a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where they would yeah, get that from. They, you know, uh, I, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Mojo Nixon. I always tell people, you know, I'm not really famous. I'm almost famous, semi-famous. <laughs> the people that liked me really liked me. The people that never right. The people that never heard of me were like, you know, right. Why? Why is the fat gray hillbilly yelling <laughs> so much? You know. <laughs> Right. So, but anyway, so the people that liked it really liked it. Yeah. 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 And it, right. It, and it was another thing. Some people called me Psycho Billy, mm-hmm. uh, my style of music. And so it was kind of alternative hillbilly, you know, uh, Elvis on acid or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it just, it just played right in. Oh, Mojo's talking about this, you know, the black, 
black NASCAR driver. Right. Yeah, you, right. You just, Naturally, Mojo's going to write a song about that. He's just short of eating mushrooms, you know. <laughs> so, wait, how long is this thing supposed to be? Uh, we can, Does it have a limit? No, we can go as long as we okay. want. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can tire you out, actually, but probably should yeah, be a yeah, goal yeah, here. Yeah. So, how did your NASCAR show come about? Did you pitch Sirius XM? Did they come to well, you? Originally... So I went to work for Sirius. Let me get this straight. 2004, maybe. Mm -hmm. Originally, XM had NASCAR. Right, right. And then, uh, and so maybe in 2006, it switched over. So when I heard it was going to switch over, I I wrote a proposal. And uh, backtrack a little bit. The year before, in 2005, Sirius sponsored the race at Watkins Glen, you, and. And we went, me and my boss, the Rig Rocker, went, and we got Billy Joe Shaver to sing the national anthem. And nobody from the company was there because the new boss, Mel Carmazon, wasn't interested in NASCAR. Hmm. That was something the old CEO had. Right. So, uh, so we, we were, we had a, I had a, like a luxury, there's like on there, right at the bottom of the S's, there's like some sponsor chalets. I had one of those. <laughs> I had my own bar. You arrived, man. Your own chalet in a NASCAR race. It's I, I had race. my own golf cart. In fact, we got liquored up at the chalet, and we took somebody else's golf cart, and then came back like two hours later, and they're standing there. Hey, hey, why didn't you take ours? Because at that point, nobody was locking them up or taking the keys out. Yeah. Uh, so we did that. That went well. And then we did another thing in 2005. We were at Texas Motor Speedway. We were out on the um, out on the midway, trying to get people to sign up. Hey, uh, you know, coming next year, NASCAR is going to be on Sirius, not XM. Sign up and get your Sirius radio now. Hmm. And I was broadcasting from out there. Hmm. And then so I wrote a thing to the head to uh, Steve Cohen, the head of sports, and I and so I, I you know it went it went off the air at XM like December first, and it was supposed to come on. So when I sent it to him, they didn't have anybody. So guess what? He said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Happenstance. He, he okay. said yes. Yeah, I was at the right place, right time, and I was ready to go. It was like a one page, you know, this is why I like I should do it. And um, the, so I did a test show. Did a test show. It went great. And I realized, oh, this is what I was born to do. Mm -hmm. Right. right. I, you know. I've been, I've been show prepping my whole life for this. For the, I'm ready. <laughs> it's all leading up to this moment. Right. So, well, anyway, somebody at Daytona, somebody down in the, in the NASCAR corporate headquarters, heard one of my songs. It's triple X rated. And I had to do the whole test show again. I didn't, and I told him, I said, look, if you don't want me to swear, if you want me to keep it, you want me to keep it PG-13, I can. Yes. Which yeah. other of your shows. Other shows, you, not you, so much. You skirt that PG, line a little bit. PG-411. <laughs> Who came up with the name Manifold Destiny? I stole it from somebody. Uh, somebody had a book. And I think it was something about they were uh, maybe uh, they were baking potatoes on the manifold or something. Mm -hmm. It might have been called that. I don't have any real ideas. A lot of my best ideas I stole from Richard Pryor <laughs> or uh, Bill Hicks or other, you know, or Hunter Thompson or Bruce Springsteen, Woody Guthrie. But I'm a really good thief, and I just <laughs> stole this from somebody. <laughs> And it sounded good, Manifold Destiny. Right? It sounds terrific, right. especially when you enunciate it yeah, so correctly. Yeah, so I mean, like, Manifold Destiny. <laughs> right, it sounds like the myth of NASCAR. You can hear the banjos play. You can hear Robert Mitchum's Thunder Road. <laughs> and you can see Junior Johnson's mugshot. You know? 
Hopefully, yeah. You can All of those images certainly are evoked when, when we listen to your show. Uh, do you feel as if you've, you've brought new people into NASCAR? Because let's face it, I mean, you're a little bit unconventional in terms of the Sirius XM NASCAR hosts. So do you, do you feel like you bring in a broad, like a different swath of, of NASCAR fans? I think I fans? bring in, you know, there's a lot of people listening to Outlaw Country. You know, uh, one, of the, one of the secrets of Sirius XM, half the people listening on all channels are truck drivers. <laughs> Yeah. Or especially the channels I'm on, especially NASCAR and Outlaw Country. Right. I brought people, you know, people go, well, I don't know much about NASCAR, Mojo. I'll check out your show because I love your show. Right. You know, and so and so I brought some of those guys over and vice versa. You know, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's all it's been real good for me. Right. You have David Reagan as one. Is he still a regular? Still right. a regular. Okay. It, me, and, me and David right. Reagan are like conjoined twins. We can't get rid of each other. <laughs> And um, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a little bit of an odd coupling. Let's let's face it. I mean, you're you're Mojo Nixon, right. you're your college well, rock radio yeah. legend, and David Reagan was endorsing Donald Trump right. a couple of months ago, and is a straight shooter from Unadilla, Georgia. So right. how, and David how did this Reagan, right. He talks about religion a lot, but I don't know how it happened. <laughs> After, uh, David told me it was his dad. I, I, the real, here's the real story. So it used to be my show was on Saturday, kind of between. The Xfinity race and the truck race. Yes. They'd have both, either before or after on Saturday. I was on Jabber Jowen, and David was still, I think, maybe in the truck series. He hadn't moved up. Uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't jumped up to Roush yet. Mm-hmm. And his dad, who, was, who raced back in the 80s, in the early 90s, his dad says, why don't you call in? So he called in. I'm going, oh, this is David Reagan. Oh, great. And then he says at the end of the interview, well, maybe I'll just be your regular guest. I go, darn too. <laughs> Woo! Because it's kind of like, if I'm only on for two hours a week, it's hard to get. Right. J- Dale Jr. is not coming on my show. <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> maybe right. we can convince him. Right. But, right. So a lot of the guests are already used up by the yeah. time my show comes on. Yeah. And then, and I usually get the wilder, crazier, freer, nuttier guests. Mm-hmm. You except know. for David Reagan. Right. Except who, for David Reagan. None so of those categories. David Reagan was <laughs> running full time at Rouse. He's almost won to Daytona 500. It was great having him on. He's a great guy. David. I'll say this about David Reagan. You know, what you what you see is what you get. He re, he truly is a nice guy. Yeah. He truly is a good guy. What what he presents as himself is what he is. And so, you know, when he went when he went to uh, you know, the front row and he lost a big ride, I'm like, you know, we still have young cuz I didn't want to feel like I abandoned him. He goes, "No, I'll do it." You know, and then he and then he jumps back up. He's he's filling in for Kyle Busch last year. Right. And he goes, "Well, if I got to be on, I might as well talk to you." So, we're we're linked, and right. even though we don't agree on everything, uh, look the fact that I have a full time cup driver on my show is shocking. It's, shocking. Yes. <laughs> Do you think he's ever listened to? Oh yes. Music? In fact, he told me him and his wife are listening to my political talk show, whose name I can't even say on this show. <laughs> and she goes, "Does he talk like that all the time?" <laughs> yeah. right. So he's he has an open mind. He's okay. heard all kind of things. Right, he believes what he believes, and it strongly believes it. But he's not, you know. Yeah. So he's heard my political talk show, and he's heard my my hillbilly show, and he's heard some of the crazy things I've said, and he finds it humorous. Lucky for me. <laughs> would you like to have more drivers on? Yeah, no, they, I, yeah, it okay. would be fine. But the, like I said, they're all, you know, there. There's other shows that are on five days a week, so the drivers that like to be on shows are already taken by the time they get to me. Yeah. But I, I was telling that story earlier. Once I had, I was at Fontana. Oh, this is way early, and uh, 
Pat Patterson had to had us in the uh, safety clean, had yes. the studio set I've been up in. there. Yeah. It was like 100,000 degrees. And we're breathing <laughs> the fumes. I thought I was going – I thought I was high. And maybe I was. Anyway, I interviewed Kevin Harvick. And he walk, as he walks away, he goes, who the hell is that hillbilly and what does he own? <laughs> he meant that as a, you know, well, an endearing way, I'm sure. He was, he, he was half sure. joking. Yeah. He was only half joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he – hey, he's from Bakersfield, man. Right, Streets right. of – Outlaw Country. Right. That's, that was an Buck Owens, Merle, Merle, yeah. Merle Haggard, right. Yeah. So you said you would shave your head if Jeff Gordon made the chase. Yeah, this is last year. I made a uh, – I'd overstepped the <laughs> <laughs> bounds of reason a little bit. In, when I made the bet in June, Jeff Gordon was running poorly. He was, you know, like 16th or 17th in points. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like he's going to win at all. It didn't look like he had the car figured out at all. I might have made a little mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I might have underestimated the power of a four-time champion. As I got Rudy Tomjanovich quote, never underestimate the heart of a champion. <laughs> I might have done that a little bit. And, uh, and everybody thought, well, you know, Mojo will get out of it. I was like, no, I can't, you know. <laughs> I how, can't get out of it. So how long were you without any facial hair? hair I was without any, with it, no hair on my head for at least a month. Okay. Till, and I was worried, you know, I'm getting kind of OLD. My hair is, you know, thick. And I, you know, when I was young, my hair was like a sword. It was so thick. But I was worried it wouldn't grow back. Yeah. You know, or, but, oh, it grew back. Okay, good. But it, I, well, it's a concern because let's again, well, Mojo know, look, trademark is the yes. mutton chops. Well, and also I might be fat and old <laughs> and gray, but my hair looks good. It does look good. Uh, and as we discussed uh, previously, no, no response from Jeff. Gordon no, we tried very hard to get Jeff there, and I thought I almost had him at one point, and there was a lot of a lot of times. What happens is, is as these kind of crazy ideas go up the food chain. There'll be somebody that's heard something I said, and they'll be, nope, you're not doing that. That guy's crazy. So, <laughs> and I didn't really know Jeff, you know, but I had, you know, I, I had a guy working on it. Yeah. A guy on the inside, a guy who worked at Hendrick. Yeah. You know, but I, uh, I had to promise, you know, <laughs> I interviewed him <laughs> once. He was, uh, used to be, you remember, they'd have like the pre-chase interviews in New York before they went to New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's lined up in the hall. I'm doing like five interviews from, you know, from San Diego. And Jeff is there and they go, well, you know, you want Jeff Gordon? I go, yeah. And I can hear both the NASCAR boss and the boss of all sports at Sirius go, you better not say it or you're going to be fired. <laughs> and what they didn't want me to say was Jeff Gordon's a robot built by Yankees to infiltrate our Southern sport. And you didn't say that. I didn't say it. Okay. And, uh, and so it went and well. And he didn't know. Okay. Right. Cause he, you know, it's just a, you know, he's just doing, they're putting a headset on him and he's doing five different interviews. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't say it. All right. So I can behave, but I choose not to most of the time. I think drivers have figured out what you're about, right? right. I mean, first of all, let me just say too: it's this is not a shtick. This is not a persona. This is you are well, like David right. Reagan. You're Mojo all well, the time. Well, it used to be, you know, Mojo was what Kirby MacMillan wanted to be. Yeah, and that was in 1982. Well, shortly by 1990, they had all merged into one terrible, you know, package that you see today. <laughs> Right, so Mojo Nixon was just you know what you know, what I aspired to be, yeah, the the mythical me, and I, you know, and then now they're all just you know they're all combined. NASCAR has talked often Mojo about wanting to reach different demographics, different audiences. Have they ever? Has anybody from NASCAR ever said, "Hey, we're glad we got you in the fold," despite having vetted you probably many times? Uh, but I think that's one said. of the reasons I'm still on. I've been doing. I think this is eight years now. Uh-huh. Is that right? Is uh, you know. 
I'm only on two hours a week, and it's fun. Yeah. Right. And the, the thing I bring the most is I love NASCAR. So if I'm mad about something, I just want NASCAR to be better. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not, you know, I'm not concerned with corporations and all that kind of stuff. What I want is good racing. What I want is three cars going into turn three side by side. There's only room for one. Mm-hmm. Somebody got to lift. Somebody going to wreck. Somebody going to spit out. Then I want a fist fight afterwards. And then I want somebody to go on Twitter and call somebody. Uh, what did Tony Gibson say? Uh, what, was it Tony Gibson? No, well, that was what Cole Pern said, but I don't know if we want to repeat. Well, that. Well, no, no, this is on the Twitter last week. Oh, stupid about, is it? Oh, oh, two weeks Lugano. ago. Stupid is stupid. Yeah, you can't fix stupid. Stupid yeah, is stupid. Stupid is does. a stupid does. Yeah, something like that. Well, okay. That Twitter thing, you, I get you in trouble. Now you're not on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. Are you ever going to capitulate? Well, I'm afraid I'll be fired. Everybody's I'll, doing it. I, you know, you know what I do. I like to go. Uh, I like to be too fast, too quick with the joke, and then go too far. <laughs> too fast, too far. Not a good combination on Twitter. <laughs> I might not. Uh, you know, I might not know the temperature of the pool, and suddenly, yeah. ah, Mojo's off. Daryl Wallace Jr. can get fined fifteen thousand dollars for a Muppets reference. So yes. I'd be Just think about nervous. me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm surprised that it's lasted this long. I'm surprised I still have a job on Sirius. <laughs> I have said things that you wouldn't believe. <laughs> yeah. I should be in prison. If it was 400 years ago, the King of England would have chopped my head off and put my head on a stake outside of his palace saying, you see what we do to people that talk like that? <laughs> do you ever get recognized nowadays as uh, Mojo Nixon NASCAR Sirius XM host versus Mojo Nixon well, yeah, legendary yeah, no, college radio know, I think uh, at, a, at, at a thing like this, especially if I got on the red Hawaiian shirt, yeah. Once you put on the red Hawaiian shirt, uh, yeah, I'll, if I was to go out, you know, on the midway, I, I would get a few, you know, Mojo, woo, Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mojo, let's go get a drink. <laughs> How often do you get recognized in your other life? Not very often. Really? It's every now and then. Okay. You know, it, it, it used to be more, but not, not very often. You said yeah. you're only famous for two years. That's that's how you feel like it went. It was like you had a two year run. No, no, was... no. I was, it was more like ten years. Ten years. Yeah, okay. ten years. Say, let's say eighty five to ninety five. Okay. But I wasn't. But I was only famous among a small group of weirdos who bought a lot of records. <laughs> Sounds like my type of people. Yeah. Because I've got to ask you because you're on here and it's it's music. Um, wh- where do you think the state of music is these days? There's always good music going on, but it's, it appears. And it appears it's hard, harder and harder to find it. Mm-hmm. The things that get pushed to the front are the most watered down things. Mm-hmm. And this is true in all types of music. They're the safest, nice, you know. Real music, real music uh, scares people. It's too, you know, it's too real. It's too, it's too much. It's, it, it's too sad. It's too rocking. It's too angry. It's too psycho. Hmm. Real music scares people. People want background music while they vacuum. And... Uh, yeah, so, but there's always real music out there. And you were, we were talking about the Outlaw Country Cruise. Uh, that's the channel I'm on, on Sirius Channel 60, Hillbilly Rock and Roll with a Bad Attitude. We had 20 bands on the first cruise, and each one was great. Hmm. And everybody had a good time. But, the, you know, they only sold, I think they sold 2,000 or 1,000, they sold 1,000 cabins. Huh. So it, that's one of the problems with, uh, you know, with Americana or Roots music. There's more bands than fans. <laughs> That is a problem. Right. So, right. Unless it's not, they're all you, listening right. to each so other. So, Steve Earle and Lucinda Williams and the Mavericks make a living. Right. Almost every – and Dwight Yoakam. Old 97s. Right. Those guys probably right. make a living. Right. Everybody but else. Everybody else yeah. is just breaking even. Yeah. Joe Ely, one of my heroes, one of the guys I love to death. Yeah. Joe Ely, you know, 
Joe Ely doesn't have a big house on the edge of town. Mm-hmm. Right. Joe Ely's got to make, got to do something, you know, here soon to make money to pay the rent. Which is crazy to me because when I saw he was featured on the on the cruise lineup, I was like, oh yeah, I remember reading, you know, the review of Live at Liberty Lunch or something right. like that in Rolling Stone thirty years ago. Right. It's great to see he's still around, and yet right. times are tough for everybody. Right. These days. And t- right. And there's just in this type of music, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, Americana, roots rock. It's got about fit, country rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this type of music, there's just not that much money to be made. Hmm. Interesting. And, and uh, but there's always good bands. There's you know good bands. There's there's good bands out there. Drive by truckers make a living, mm-hmm. but they you know they've been together so long they start hating each other. Right. You know, oh yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Right. It's easy when you're in a band on the way up and everybody and everything's new and exciting. Oh, we're in New York. Oh, we're going to be on TV. Oh God, I just got an extra five thousand yeah. dollars. Everything's great. It's on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> where where. Where they start harboring resentments and want to kill that monkey. I'm not saying I hate Skid Roper's guts. I'm just saying (laughs) I hate Skid Roper's guts. How different are things from 25 years ago in terms of like the recording process, the touring process? Well, you can can make a record for a lot cheaper because everybody has a studio in their house. Right. The biggest problem now is just when gas went to $5, that made touring a lot harder. And and, and hotels went to $100. That made... One of the ways me and Skid, and it was me, Skid, and Bullethead. Bullethead mm-hmm. was our roadie and then later our manager. So it was just three of us, and we only had to get one room. And, you know, we had one, one – and we were only paying three people. Mm-hmm. We didn't take a sound man. We didn't take a merch guy. We didn't, we didn't take a light man. You know, we didn't take a roadie. It was just Bullethead. Bullethead's in charge of all that. And, um, Bullethead. Yeah. He had a real <laughs> name, but I didn't like it. And um, – <laughs> So, so we, we were, and so we were, you know, we're a duo on stage and we're paying one other person. And so we made money. You know, we opened for the Pogues. And the reason we got to open for the Pogues on their two U.S. tours was musically it fit, but also, you know, they had eight people. They didn't want to move their stuff. We could set up in front of their stuff. We played with NRBQ a lot because they were old and angry and they didn't want to move their, <laughs> they didn't want to move their crap either. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it was good. I had a great run. I over-exceeded. I way over-exceeded my talent. I'm sure somebody listening right now, you're doing the same thing now, Mojo. <laughs> I'm maximizing my potential. <laughs> Our thanks again to Mojo Nixon for joining us. Apologies again for that bit of an abrupt goodbye. As noted, this was taped a while ago, so it required some editing that made things less than seamless, and that's on me. Chalk it up as a final lesson in a year of learning experiences with this new podcasting endeavor. As noted, this is the last episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast in 2016. So there are a few end of the year thank yous to say. We will start, of course, with producer Tess Quinlan, who simply has been a godsend since her arrival in March. This podcast wouldn't exist in its current form without her professionalism and hard work. So many, many thanks to Tess. Thanks as well to the many other producers at NBC Sports who were supportive of this idea from the start. That includes Joel Maydak, John Barnes, Ricky Diamond, Brett Castelluccio, Jeff Benke, and Sean Owens. I appreciated their faith in a medium that still is relatively new and especially appreciated their decisions to use clips of some of our conversations from the NASCAR NBC podcast on NASCAR America on NBCSN. And thanks as well to Trevor Gavin, for handling many of those clips. 
Thanks to my colleague Dustin Long for being very understanding on days that the pod sidetracked me from working as much on the website. Thanks to the many guests we had. There were dozens, so too many to name. But sincere gratitude to the many media relations representatives across the NASCAR and IndyCar industries who helped coordinate most of these conversations. Podcasting is a relatively nimble operation, but there are still logistics involved and all of the help by the schedule makers for drivers, etc. in making these conversations work. All of that was, was greatly appreciated. And finally, thanks to those of you who have subscribed and listened. Your feedback and your loyalty has been humbling and gratifying. If you've got ideas, I'm always listening on Twitter. At Nate Ryan is my account name. Uh, I have a lot of planning to do on guests, but I'm hoping we'll be back by mid-January with new episodes weekly for the 2017 season. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast, and I hope you had a great holiday season. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.